in a commercial world in the West, it is, I believe it's the responsibility now of, of, of business owners to clearly communicate the value that they are that they have created to really be able to convince prospects convince people that we're actually on the side of the buyer that we are with them all of the way the strategic marketing show is brought to you by insights for professionals providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands all in a customized tailored experience Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. What are the key differences between a brand that's easily forgotten and a go-to brand? That's what we're going to be discussing today with a brand creation expert who is also an author, professional speaker, mentor, Ned, and marketing practitioner who spent 10 years developing his proprietary brand bucket program. A warm welcome to the Strategic Marketing Show, Barnaby Winter. Hi, David. Absolutely great to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Well, you can find Barnaby over at barnabywinter.com. So, Barnaby, let's start off by quoting you. So you say that you need to build the whole of your business so that it becomes a seamless journey towards your value proposition. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think too often businesses uh, develop uh, a story that emanates from within the business itself and where that then often falls flat is because it's probably only resonates with the owners or the founders or the board or whatever and i think it's an imperative that if you're starting a brand journey or you're developing a brand journey you want to resonate with the market what you have to do is develop a value proposition. And what I mean by that is a, a, a storytelling mechanic, which is really about the buyers. It's about prospects. It's about the people who are going to use your product or service. And too often, uh, businesses become so internalized that the storytelling is, is fundamentally flawed. So you have to build a, a value proposition, uh, a story that actually resonates with the market. And then what you need to do is to build your systems and processes so that they absolutely represent your value proposition at every step of the journey from you know being unaware right through awareness, uh, getting to understand what, what it is you're offering uh, right through to the purchase process and ultimately the usage of the product or service. And all of that's got to be seamless and it's all got to represent that initial value proposition, the story that the buyer was engaged in in the first place. So how, how do you actually go about starting to build your brand story? Well, I think the, 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 there are really four key value drivers uh, in a value proposition. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to define your behavioral style, the style of the way you do business or the way the product works. Because when we as, as prospects are looking for products and services that we want to have a relationship with, we're ultimately going to be looking for a relationship with something that we like and indeed, as we found from research in 2005, is actually like us too. So you people buy into things they like that are actually like them. So the first thing you've got to do is define your, your behavioral style, your style of doing business. Once you've got that, what you then have to do de- define is what your benefits are to the buyers, not what the features are, not how clever or or, or, or cool the product is, but actually what the, what the benefits are to the buyer. 
so that they have now a clear picture that they kind of like you because you're like them, but now they understand how, you, how you're going to benefit them. And then the third real set of values that you need to define is what you want people to believe about your product, your service, uh, what, they, what they're going to believe about the relationship they're going to have with your product or service. And ultimately, if you do that, um, they, you can use that to judge whether all of the touch points, all of the seamless journey really is going to deliver against those set of beliefs. And then the final value you need to define is what you want to be famous for. How are you going to make a difference to people's lives? What it is you want them to really have at the core of their whole belief about your brand story. Now, those fundamentals, your behavioral style, your benefits, your beliefs, and what you want to be famous for, um, they all combine into an ability to tell your brand story really potently in the marketplace. Love it. Really succinct there. Value, style, benefits, belief about your service. So what you want to be famous for? Now, that jumped out at me towards the end because some brand owners, some marketers may think that um, it's not possible for their brand to be famous for something. They're not in an industry, perhaps, that um, makes it easy to tell a compelling story or is that narrative incorrect? Yeah, I, I would, I would, of course, make the case that a narrative for that is incorrect. The fame is only in the buyer's mind, the prospect's mind. That's the only place you need to be famous. And I think what you're what you're doing is is, is possibly attributing fame to the word famous in, in in an incorrect way. This is about saying actually what this particular relationship resonates more with me as a buyer than any other relationship that I might have. And that doesn't matter whether you're buying a, a, a pump or an or a oil rig, or you're buying a new car, or you're buying a, a, a new piece of confectionery or a hotel or whatever. It really doesn't matter. What you're, you're aiming to do with the marketing and your brand storytelling is in the mind of the person that is in ready to buy you because they like you because you're like them and they've understood what you're going to give them is to become famous in their mind so actually what you want to be famous for is that thing that really solves their their, their challenge improves the quality of their life so when you say famous in buyer's mind can you only really become famous in their mind after they make the purchase or is it possible to become famous in your prospect's mind yeah, so, so I think that's a great question. My recognition of that, my experience of that, it is really only after purchase that you become famous. It's only after you've interacted a certain number of times. And if the nature of business is to sell stuff, then what that means is you've got to persuade somebody to part with their hard-earned cash and give it to you in exchange for your product or service. It is only really at that point where you really have placed your value on the table, you've done the value exchange with the money that they've earned, and, and at that point, everything you've promised prior to that point must come to life, actually exceed expectation ideally, and really become part of their lives. At that point, I think I would class that as becoming famous in the mind of, of, their, uh, of the buyer. Anything up to that point is probably merely opinion. So therefore, you know, often people level fame as being rather fickle, and that's because it is opinion-led. Whereas actually, if you're experienced, if it's experiential and you're actually in a commercial relationship with somebody, they've given you money in exchange for your product or service, then ultimately that's where true fame can be long lasting and, and have merit. We were having a, a little laugh about forgettable brands uh, before we started recording. And obviously we can't name brands that are forgettable because we would have forgotten them. But what are some things that some brands typically do that um, 
are potentially negative on their perception that um, they need to turn around and um, learn to do differently? Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, again, uh, it was a, it was a great question. I think your question was how do you how do you move from being a forgettable brand to a go to brand? And I think yeah. that's what we were laughing about because, of course, we couldn't remember any of the brands we've forgotten. So, but I think that the, the critical thing is the industry I joined thirty five years ago was all about raising awareness of great value propositions, probably product propositions, service propositions as they were coming through, and in times of limited media and limited engagement with the marketplace. Often raising awareness was enough to get people's enough interest for people to go and find out for themselves. Today, in a, in a world where no two people are consuming the knowledge economy in the same way, what you have to do is you have to take the relationship much further. And I think one of the big mistakes that uh, brand owners make is they spend an inordinate amount of money on broadcasting awareness that they exist, that they look cool, that they, you know, they behave in a certain way. And what they fail to do is to take that on into a seamless journey right through to purchase. So what happens is the, the, the broadcast media industry thrives on people who throw money at, at advertising, throw money at, at broadcasting, uh, PPC, SEO, all of that sort of thing. So they throw money at that and they're kind of a bit despairing that they don't get that much business from it. And all of the awareness they built kind of dissipates into the air almost the following day. And that's not a surprise because what they need to be doing is taking that awareness and building it through a seamless journey right through to purchase and indeed further beyond into the ongoing relationship. And I think that's the big mistake that a lot of brand owners make. And I, I'm often sitting in boardrooms where people are saying, you're doing all this activity, we're not really generating any sales. And I go, but all you're doing is raising awareness, creating a bit of an image around your product or service. You're not really giving people a go, not helping them understand how how your product or service is going to make a difference. And I think that's where it all breaks apart. And they kind of, and people then level criticism at uh, the marketing industry for being all, all, you know, smoke and mirrors or cloud based or whatever, you know, to, and I mean that in terms of fluffy clouds, uh, not <laughs> an IT term, that actually ultimately it's really not doing anything. And I think that's the big mistake rather than saying, look, here's, here's a discrete target market who we know will love us. And we're going to talk to them and we're going to engage with them and we're going to create them a journey from initial awareness all the way through to long-term loyalty. Is it possible to have multiple different distinct target markets for a brand? Or is that going to dilute the impact of what your brand represents? So I'm, I'm going to be controversial and say absolutely not. Um, you cannot have different target markets. Now, so let me contextualize that because uh, I think the question comes from uh, a historical position of demographics. In other words, we, we take a pie and we divide it up into socioeconomic, you know, ABC, 1C, 2DEs, certain age range, certain disposable income, certain, certain postcode, all that sort of thing. That tool was really created for the broadcast industry 30 years ago so that clients never realized that they were wasting 80% of the money they were spending on target markets that they were, were never going to buy from them. The, not, the digital economy, the advent of the, the internet in 95, um, and the way we consume knowledge and information about products and services, we have to fundamentally change our approach to the prospect. And 18 years ago, we moved to uh, using psychographics as a tool. Now, psychographics 
is where your prospect, the relationship is born out of how they think, how they feel, uh, what their beliefs are, what their experiences of your product and service, um, what they're looking to do, how they're going to improve the quality of life, what kind of lifestyle they lead. Now, that profile will be true no matter who the demographic is. So you can be 82 and have that attitude. You can be six and have that attitude. You can be 18 and have that attitude. You can be 35 and have that attitude. So what we do right now is we design a prospect profile that is entirely built around this psychographic profile. And there's only one for every single brand relationship. There are not multiple ones of those. And you also say stop shouting at people in the hope that a few might be in your market. So why? And also, what's the solution? What's the better way to do it? Okay, so let's, let's, there's some key facts, right? 88% of all buying decisions start online. So what's happened there is the buying community are already on an inbound journey into a relationship. They're out there, they've identified a challenge, an issue, a problem, an opportunity, a way of improving the quality of their lives, uh, all of those sorts of things. And then what they do is they go online and they go, what's available to me? So they're now actually beginning a conversation with the marketplace. What they do is they then, if you're present, they discover you, they investigate you, they ask their friends, they do TripAdvisor, they look for peer-to-peer -peer advice, they look at other products, they do comparisons. And actually at the point they contact you for the very first time, Gartner says, They've made 57% of the decision to buy. They're more likely to buy from me on first contact than second contact. So what, what actually happens at that point is you should be welcoming them into your system and process. And so bringing them into your journey, your style, your way of doing things. Now, if you look at any given business plan, and I do this as part of our process, you'll find that the number of people you actually need is quite small to service most businesses. You know, it's not millions and millions of people. So actually, if we know people are already looking for us right now on a keyboard somewhere in the marketplace, what we have to do is we have to facilitate their inbound journey into our business. We don't need to talk to anybody who is going about their lives not thinking about us. Because actually, in truth, it is very rare for me to see a business plan where I can't honestly hand on heart say, probably everybody you need on your business plan is currently on a keyboard looking for you right now. So we don't need to shout at everybody. We just need to welcome people in to the journey that they are already on. You also shared with me beforehand that you're just back from Disney. So um, what makes Disney such a great brand? Uh, so for me, it's a, it's, I'm afraid it's a weak spot. That, that, that's uh, my fourth trip to Disney World in Florida. I've probably been to Florida more than 10 times. I've uh, been to Disney uh, more than 10 times. Why? For me, not parking to one side, the, the, the child-like side of me, which I, I get into that, there is an absolute deep understanding emanating from Walt Disney about brand relationship. And it's epitomized by... Disney World. Um, now, Disney World is made up of, of four different parks, unless you call it the water parks, but actually there's, there's Magic Kingdom, Mickey Mouse Land, there's uh, Animal Kingdom, which is all about uh, the world and nature in the world, there's Epcot, which is all about the future of the world, and then there's Hollywood Studios, which is just more, more about the technical side of the world and the filmic side of the world. Now, when you go in there, you 
you're you're immediately immersed, instantaneously immersed in everything Disney. The way they manage your expectation from the moment you join a queue, and you can walk literally thirty yards and be immersed in an entirely different world, whether it's whether it's a, a Snow White or a haunted house or Guardians of the Galaxy or Avatar or or and what what they've done in Florida is they have built a Star Wars world. If you love Star Wars. You must now go to Disney and enjoy the Star Wars world. And they, they've got a full-size falcon with stormtroopers walking around it. And it's just in a, in a village and there's people walking around. I mean, if you're into... I am not into Star Wars. I, 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 there's no, no, I love... The films are great. I've seen them all, but I'm not particularly into it. But my goodness, when you are immersed in that experience and right from the off you know, you kind of forget everything about the world that's going on and it's not, not so hot at the moment. And you're immersed in this crazy microcosm of, of a world that's been created from someone's imagination. Now, I don't know, my, my objective is that if you bring me your business, I'm going to create that for your prospects around your product or service, around your value proposition. And so that's why I love Disney so much. It's just such a phenomenal reminder of, of detail, and there are so many Walt Disneyisms that really are important for business to remember and apply to to remember. I think the key thing is for the listener, for the for the viewers, how can you get your target audience talking about your brand with the same passion that Barnaby talks about Disney? <laughs> I think that's true, and that's what I do, and I try and convert that into you know we have a methodology that enables us to do that. We do that for businesses and people get excited about being the buyer, being the prospect. If you can do that and then and take them on that journey, it's it's unbelievable. But I just this is just so clever. It's just so clever. I thought now I'm getting old that you know I would go there and feel a bit grumpy about it, but oh my goodness. I mean the Avatar ride is unbelievable and the Star Wars ride and you know, it's just just you just you just get immersed. Wow. You're selling it to me. <laughs> Let's move on now from what works now to planning for the future. So in your opinion, what's the biggest marketing trend or challenge for marketers over the coming year? Well, I think I think quite clearly the thing that's dominating the world right now is is uncertainty and the fact that the price of everything's going up through the roof and it's is becoming, you know, the life that we have all got used to is becoming sort of unaffordable. In a commercial world in the West, it is, I believe it's the responsibility now of, of, of business owners to clearly communicate the value that they, are, that they have created, to really be able to convince prospects, convince people that we're actually on the side of the buyer, that we are with them all of the way. Um, and therefore, no matter what the price, the absolute price is, the thing that we are offering them in exchange for the, the decreasing amount of money they've got will really improve the quality of their life and because we've invested in a particular aspect as a, as a product owner or a service owner um, in making it cost-effective to access our value proposition in, in, in multiple ways. So I think the key trend for, for marketers right now is to really dig deep into your organization, find the true value and communicate it really well. And put that clearly in a context of, you know, the biggest challenge we have is, of course, climate change. So do it with 
empathy for the planet and the people that live on the planet. But don't make that the headline. I, I think, you know, we've seen this before where people have jumped on the green bank wagon and all that sort of thing. Actually, we, what we've got to do is demonstrate our value, our value in terms of style, behavior, our value in terms of what our benefits are. So people can clearly say, I can see why it's worth buying this product or service over and above everything else. And second, and thirdly, the belief structure, just say that we're doing this to improve your lives as a prospect, your lives as a, as a buyer, and really communicate that. And that requires considerably more thought than fancy, fancy videos and clever ideas and trickery and all that sort of thing. It needs much more reward. So I think the trend has to be smarter marketers working on smart brands to help people navigate what's going to be a, a challenging couple of years coming up right now in terms of available funding to buy things and, and maintain a level of confidence in the world that we live in. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Barnaby over at barnabywinter.com. That's W-Y-N-T-E-R.com. Barnaby, thanks so much for being on the Strategic Marketing Show. Thank you very much, David. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple. To connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. Insights for Professionals dot com.